0: How you get so much favor on your side? Accept the measure, Lord and Savior, I reply. That's your love, that neighbor, not the. Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. This morning, we're gonna Start out, and if so if you'd like to join me in Luke, or not Luke, sorry, Exodus chapter 33. Um, that's that's at least where we're going to start out this morning. From there, we're going to branch out into a few different places in the Bible, and I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Psalms later on, but we're going to begin at least in Exodus chapter 33, and that's probably as good a place as any if you'd like to be with us as we move through Scripture. Over, over the next seven weeks, starting today and for the next seven weeks, last week we began this sermon series looking at who God is and, and what God is. And Last week we began by setting some context and understanding that, that from the, just at the very beginning, as we, be, as we attempt to come to an understanding of who God is, that the first thing that we needed to understand about God is that God isn't like us. That if we try to make God make sense in our human understanding, we will miss giant pieces of who God is. And so, now starting this week, and then for the next seven, we're gonna take time to sort of try and put into context bits of who God is so that we can have an understanding, a greater understanding. We're gonna look at seven attributes. Of God, seven things that at points and places in Scripture, God would say, This is who I am, and He would reveal parts of us to us. Now, by no means is it an exhaustive list. At the end of this, I will not make you the promise that at the end of this, you will have a full and complete understanding of everything that God is. Because I could preach that for the rest of my life, and we would still not come to the definitive end of the list where we could say, Ah, now we've got it. But so we're going we're gonna to start with seven. We're going to look at seven attributes of who God is. These are not a ranking. This is not we're starting with the least important and moving to the most important. This is not we're starting with the most important and then running out of steam as we get to the end with the least important. These are just an order of how I'm going to talk about them. But the one that we're going to talk about this week, as much as they're not in an order, this one I believe to be very foundational to understanding who who God is. And we'll see in a minute that when God was asked to show himself, This is the attribute that he chose, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I think God was essentially saying, if you want to understand me, start here. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to start where God God started. And the other thing that is significant about this is in our day-to-day lives, this is probably the one that we might struggle with the most at times. The one that our understanding and our appreciation and our belief ebbs and flows probably the most, that that our circumstances can do the most damage on on this first attribute of God. And so you can turn to Exodus chapter 33, where where we see God reveal part of himself. The story of what's happening here in Exodus chapter 33. Moses is God's chosen leader. He, He has charged Moses with leading his people from Egypt into the promised land. He has gone before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Pharaoh has refused. They've gone through 10 plagues where eventually Pharaoh said, okay, you can go. Then... They left, and Pharaoh changed his mind. They came to the Red Sea. They were trapped. God parted the Red Sea. The Israelites were able to walk through on dry land. God has fed them with manna from heaven when they ran out of food to eat. They have seen constant and these incredible miracles, miracle after miracle. But even in the face of these miracles, it turns out that people are are still people. They They are at times unhappy, rebellious, short-sighted, the Bible will call them stiff-necked, so you know, people. (laughs) The people are still people. But at this specific moment, Moses has gone up a mountain and is receiving what we would call call the law, that God is, is speaking to Moses and revealing his commands for his people, and God is just downloading all of this information into him, and then in verse 18 of Exodus 33, Moses asks God something. Functionally, he prays. Now, him and God are, are, are together, but, but he, he, he's speaking to God, which, which means he's praying. And so he prays what certainly seems... Like a pretty wild, ridiculous, grandiose prayer, especially for where the story of God and humanity is at that point. But in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, it says, Moses said, now show me your glory. Moses is seeking God. God. Seeking to know more about God. Seeking to see more about God. To understand more about who God is. God is is delivering all of this to, to Moses. And Moses says, okay God, but I'd like to see you. I'd like to understand you more. And if you were here last week... We looked at a promise, or if you were able to listen online, we looked at a promise that God made through Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 29 when God says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me like Moses did, and I will listen to you like God did to Moses. You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. And so we see that Moses is doing that. Moses is seeking God. He's looking for more of God. And although this happened long before God made this promise through Jeremiah, the promise was even true then. So Moses says to God, show me your glory. Moses is saying, I have seen the acts of God. I have seen the things that God has done. I have seen your power. I have seen your miracles. But I don't just want to see what God does. I want to see God. I don't just want to see the work of your hands. I want to see your face. I want to see you. I want to know you. And this, to me, is a key in all of our lives, is that so often, at times at least, we can fall into a place of simply wanting to see God work in our lives. To see the things that God does. But maybe not looking for more of God. Just more of what God does. Not looking to see more of God in my life. Not looking to pursue God. Not looking to to connect more with God. To learn more about God. To become more intimate. To to spend more time with him. God, I just want to see what you do. I don't need you. But here we see Moses, in the face of seeing all that God has done, says, all that you've done, it's all well and it's all good, and thank you for that. But God, I want to know more about you. God, I want to see more of you, not just what you do, but more of you. And God says to Moses, essentially, Son, you have no idea what it is that you're asking. He he says to him, God says, you you can't see my face, for no one may see me and live. You remember last week when we, we talked about how God is not just a better version of a human. Here we get just this tiny sliver of a picture because that's not true of any of us. That doesn't make sense. If, if we see God, he will die? But we get just this little sliver of a picture that whatever, however God would manifest himself, it's something that we don't quite understand. But what God does do for Moses is he says to him, essentially, you see, th- there's some rocks over there. If you go stand on that rock formation... All pass by. I'm going to cover your eyes so you can't see me, but I will pass by and I will remove my hand and you'll catch just a glimpse of my back as I pass by. But not a glimpse of everything. Not a, not a glimpse of the full picture of God. But what he says is he says, I, I'm going to let you see just a single part of God, an attribute, a characteristic. Here's what he says. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. We read that. And then the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Now, we pause for a moment because God chose just this one thing to reveal to Moses. He he could have chosen anything. He could have said, I'm going to cause my holiness to pass in front of you he could have said, I'm going to cause my justice to pass in front of you. He could have said, I'm going to cause my faithfulness to pass in front of you. He could have said, I'm going to cause my goodness, my holiness, my faithfulness, my justice. He could have said all of these things to pass in front of him, but he chose to say, I'm going to cause my goodness. Of all the things he could have chosen about himself, it says, if you want to see me, if you want to see my glory, if you want to see what I am, I cannot show it all to you or you're going to die. But what I will show you to give you the best understanding, the best, most impactful glimpse that I can, I'm going to show you my goodness. The first, most foundational attribute that we're going to look at is that God is good. That is the first foundational point that we're going to look at for God. God is good. Now in the next chapter, Exodus 34, we see God fulfill his promise with Moses in verse 6, where it says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in... Goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgressions for sin. God is saying to Moses, here is who I am. I am a good God. But like I said at the beginning of our time today... This is, the, this is a characteristic of God that can really wobble and stumble at times in our lives. There are times when we can struggle with this idea, with this belief. There may be times in your life where you've doubted God's goodness. Where you've looked at the story of your life, where you've looked at the things that you've gone through and the place that you find yourself and you say, God, if you are good, explain this. Explain where I am. Explain the things I've had to go through. Explain the things that I am going through. Explain the failure. Explain the difficulty. Explain the challenge. God, if you're good, then explain yourself. There may have been times when you believed that the goodness of God wasn't true. There may be some right now in this service that want to stand up and say, amen. But they don't because that would be... An odd point for in the service to say amen to our doubt of God's goodness. But you may want to do that. You may be here this morning and God's goodness is not what you would identify with this morning. But to paint you a picture of what God, God's goodness looks like, I want to read a verse to you. It's Psalm eighty four eleven. And I want to invite you, if you would, if, if, you, if you like to do these things, if you want to turn there in your Bible, and if you are a highlighter or if you're a marker or if you're anything like that, I want to, I want to bring you to this verse because I think it gives us a picture of, of what God looks like as he's good to us. It paints such a deep picture of what God's goodness looks like. It says this to us. It says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. God is a son. It means that God is an unlimited source of blessing and life. It says, God is a shield. He can protect me from anything and from everything. It says, He gives favor and honor. How does God do this? What does that mean that God gives favor and honor to us? It means that he gives grace to us. Do you know, do you know why it's grace? It's because you don't deserve favor and you don't deserve honor, especially from God. Now, we may look at each other and and say, yeah, you are deserving of of favor. You are deserving of honor in my life because of who and what you are. But surely none of us would God look at and and say, as a person, you are deserving of honor and and favor and, and all of that from me, God. But yet God gives it to us because of his grace. He gives it to us, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because of his grace, because he is good. He is good to you, and he is good to me. Not because we are good, but because he is good. And lastly, there's a promise that when we walk God's way, no good thing will he withhold from us. And again, it's not because we're good, but because he is good. See, God is what it means to be good. God forms the definition of good. The definition of good is not informing God. God informs what the definition of good is. It is his, it is who he is. God is what it means to be good. He cannot be any other way. He is, or it's his disposition. He's good. You know how some people just have a disposition. You know him, it's Jim. He's just grumpy. That's just his disposition. Whatever his circumstance Always just seems grumpy. Or or you say, someone who's always down. Or someone who's always cynical. Or someone who's always happy. That's just who they are. Whatever the circumstance, they're grumpy. Whatever the circumstance, it's their disposition. Well, God's disposition is that he is good. And as we follow him, out of his goodness, he wants to be generous to us. He wants to be generous with us. He wants to lavish life on us. The verse says that he won't withhold any good thing from us. He wants to help you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to give grace to you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to meet the deepest desires of your heart. And the picture that's painted is this. That on the pathway of life, wherever there's a decision to be made, wherever there's a choice to be made, there's always two ways to go the way that God would like us to go and the other way we could go. That's why there's a decision to be made. If there wasn't at least two choices, there would be no decision. We would just go that way. But whenever there's a decision to be made, we can go the way that God wants us to go or we can go another another way. And God is saying, you can choose either one. You can. That's what grace means is that you can choose either way and and the results of your choice are not going to determine whether or not God still has grace for you. If you continually choose not God's way, God is going to still have grace for you and God is still going to continue to meet you on that road. But if we choose his way, God is saying, if you choose my way, I'm not going to withhold any good thing from you but I'll pour it out on you. I will will lavishly, extravagantly give you good things if you walk in the way that I've called you to walk. God has been good to you in your life. I promise that if you look, you will find it. But it doesn't always feel that way. This is the challenge that we have with God's goodness and why sometimes it can wobble is because sometimes in our life, it doesn't always feel that way. God doesn't seem to be so good based on where I am right now. Sometimes things happen in our lives and we don't understand why they're happening. And sometimes the things that are not good, it's because we've chosen the wrong road that we've made a choice. We, We came to a fork in the road and there was two ways and we looked and we saw one way that was God's way and we looked and we saw another way that just wasn't God's way and we said, this one, I know this may be God's way, but this one sure makes a lot of sense or this one looks like a lot more fun or this one really, I think, holds at the end of it what I really do think I want for my life and I'm going to make a choice to go down this road. Now, even when we made that choice, God never stopped loving us. He never stopped caring for us. He never stopped wanting the best for us. God never pulled his grace away from us. But like the prodigal son, the story that Jesus told, we made a choice. And in that story, the prodigal son, if you know the story of the prodigal son, the story that Jesus told, the prodigal son doesn't, or his the prodigal son's dad, it's hard when nobody has a name, but the prodigal son's dad never stops him from making his choice. Never even particularly comes to him and says, you know, son, I really don't think you should do this. I think it's a mistake. I think you're gonna burn through your money. You're gonna end up eating the pig's mess and you're gonna make your way back home and it's gonna be really awkward and weird. He doesn't, intervene into his life that way. And maybe in those moments as the son got everything he wanted everything he thought he wanted and then as his life began to unravel as as the money ended the, the opportunities disappeared, the friends that he thought he had made left him and he ends up living and working in a pigsty, literally, and eating the food from the pigs, and his life has ended up far worse than he ever had anticipated. Maybe in those moments, the son probably had moments of blaming his dad. Why wouldn't he have stopped me? Why didn't dad, why did dad say yes What is wrong with my dad? Why would he he do this to me? He could have said no. He could have said, son, this is a bad idea, and I won't let you do it. It's his fault I'm here. If he wouldn't have given me, he knows I don't know how to handle money. He knows what's wrong with me, and yet he still chose to give this to me. But when the son finally does make his way back home, he sees the goodness and the grace of his father on full display. As his father sees him coming, it says that his, his father got a smile on his face. Now, as a father, I feel like I would have a smile on my face as well. But I would have the I told you so locked and loaded. <laughs> like, come here, Owen. Let's have a chat, shall we? Welcome home, I've missed you how to go yeah. you know but that's not what his father does that's not what his father his he doesn't run to him and say i told you so he runs to him and embraces him and he loves him he throws him a party he doesn't point out or punish his failures he just loves that he's home if you're here today and and your perception of god and his goodness is warping inside of your life, but deep down inside, you can look and say, you know, it's probably because of some choices I made. That, I don't know that God is good, but when I look at my life, and I look at my story, and I look at how I got here, I can probably see a couple of times when I didn't do the right thing. God wants you to know that when you come to him, when you lay down your pride and you come back to him, he won't be waiting for you with judgment and anger. He won't be waiting for you with, well, now what did we learn? He won't be waiting for you with a big lightning bolt ready to strike and punish you. But in the story of the prodigal son, this is what the dad does. It says, but while he was the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. He, that was the rebellious son's welcome home. And for us today, for you today, that can be God's reaction for you as you turn to him and say, Dad, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. In my failure, in all the falling down that I did, Dad, I'm coming home, and this is what you'll be welcomed with. Now, there are other reasons why God may not look good in our lives. And sometimes it's simply the perception of the things in our lives. Particularly sometimes even the things that we've asked God for. We can sometimes find ourselves complaining about the things that used to be miracles. Things that used to be answers to prayer. But now we look at our lives and we see or we think that they're curses. Like, you know, you prayed to get married. God, if you would just send me a partner. God, it, it... God, I, my heart and my longing is that you would just send me a wife, send me a husband. How, just a couple of years later, has that blessing turned into a curse? But we, we, we prayed, we got on our knees, we wept on our bedside. God, would you send me this? God, this is what I need you to have for me. And then God provides it. And then suddenly we say, God, it's this woman you've given me. I don't know what's wrong with her, but it was, a, it was an answer to prayer. And suddenly we think maybe we needed to pray a little different. That job that you have, that you prayed for, you prayed that God would give you the miracle of this job. You went for a job interview and you said, God, I just need you to perform a miracle that you would give me this job. And then you saw it happen. And you gave testimony of the goodness of God. your Jehovah Jireh, my provider. The Lord has given an answer to my prayer. Now, three years later, God, why are you forcing me to walk this road? God, why are you making me go to this place? God, do you not hear my prayers? God, why, why are you not being good? It was you who prayed for those kids. You wanted those creatures. God, if you would just give us some kids... God, it's the longing and the desire of my heart. God, I, I want children with everything. God, it's your promise. God, it's what I want. God sent. We just want to have kids. And then it's a miracle. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We had kids. These are kids. <laughs> this is not what I thought I was signing up for. But we have these incredible answers to prayer. But over time, suddenly the miracle of God, it's not such a miracle. We began in Exodus chapter 33 where God has delivered them from Egypt out of 400 years of slavery. And after just a little while in the desert, the people are coming to Moses and saying, you know, Egypt wasn't so bad. We prayed for 400 years that you would send a deliverer. And now a a month into this thing, maybe we should go back. All those prayers for four, we, we got a miracle. We had the miracle of all miracles. But our, our perception changes. And I think for some of us today, God wants to remind you that some of those things that you think are problems, that you think are challenges, that make you doubt God's goodness in your life, God wants to remind you this morning that you prayed for them they were miracles that you thanked God for, that you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you saw God perform a miracle. But now as time has passed, that miracle needs a little more of the miraculous. It needs something more. But this is what your heavenly Father says to you. As much as he wants to remind you that you prayed for this, God also has that message with a promise for you this morning. It's not a promise of guilt. It's not like, oh, I guess i got to go home with my tail between my legs. This is what God wants to say for you. In Psalm 145, it says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. You are all. The heart that you have towards the things that God has done. And maybe this is the first time you've even realized that you've ever done this. But what God will say to you today, he has compassion on all that he has made, and he has made you. So even when we take the things of God, we take the miraculous, and we turn them into needs... God still has compassion for us. He will still be good to you. The Israelites who complained that God delivered them from Egypt, God still had compassion on them. God was still good to them. And in your life today, that is the testimony that God will still give you. That even though our perception may be wrong, our perception may be forgotten, and we have taken the things of God, and we have made them into the curses of God, that God will still have still compassion for you but sometimes it's not those things either. Sometimes it's not a choice. It's not that we've allowed our perception to change, but sometimes something happens to us, something that you don't choose, but something has happened in your life, and God doesn't look very good right now. God's goodness doesn't feel very real right now. And this can be very real. A job loss, a health diagnosis, a car accident. And our circumstances can do our best to drown out and blind us to God's goodness. But we're called to cling to the idea that God is good. And I cannot... Stand here today and tell you why some of the things that happen, happen the way they do. I cannot tell you why God allows some things and doesn't allow other things. I cannot give you a pad, a pad generic answer that will fit each one of your stories and each one of your circumstances in every way possible, just to say, God does it because I cannot do that. I cannot give you a pad answer for all the pain and the suffering that God seemingly allows us to endure. But I can close with this, and hopefully, if this is where you're at, it can bring you some hope. Sometimes when we're really low, when life is really, really hard, when we're down and down on God, and we can have this idea that when, it ha- when that happens, maybe God is over here standing at a distance in our lives saying, now listen, be a good girl, clean up your act and get things together, then we can talk and I'll show you my goodness. But that's, that's not the God of the Bible. The thing that we can't walk away from is that the Bible doesn't tell us that God just does good things. The Bible says God is good. It's not just what he does. That God isn't defined as good simply by the things that he does. It's who he is. And who he is never changes. In Psalm 46, it says that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, that is an incredible promise. But when you look at what it's implying, is when do you need an ever-present help in time of trouble? When you're in trouble. It's nice to know when things are good that you have an ever-present help, but it's really helpful to know that when you are in trouble, that God is there for you. It is good to know that I don't need to fear when I'm not afraid. But it's really good to be able to stand on that promise when I feel fear. And I can come back when there's a situation where I need to be afraid. And I can come back and I can say, but God's word tells me I don't need to be afraid. And we we quoted this verse earlier. But in the midst of our worst moment, in our deepest time of trouble, in your deepest time of trouble... God was there for you. In Romans five eight, it says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At the moment of your most desperate need, God was there for you. At the moment... When our sin had consumed us, our lives, our future, and our destiny, God's goodness and his mercy came to our rescue, not because we were good, we were sinners. Not because we were good, but because God is good. And this is why we can say that no no matter how bad the storm is, no matter how much pain we experience, no matter how different the outcome is than what we've prayed for, God is good. In the hardest moments of life, God comes close to us and he doesn't change, he doesn't falter, he doesn't quit, he doesn't get leave, and he doesn't let go. I want to challenge you this morning. God is just as good to the people who died in the car accident as the people who avoided it. God is just as good to the parents of obedient children as he is to the parents whose children have rebelled. God is just as good to infertile women as he is to women who may have many biological children as they want. God is just, to the, just as good to the family who loses their home in a fire as he is to the family whose fire do, or whose house doesn't burn down in the fire. God is just as good to the single person as he is to the person who gets married. God is just as good to the person who loses their job in corporate downsizing as he is to the person who earned a promotion. God is just as good to the person who drowned in a tsunami as he is to the people who were rescued. God is just as good to the person who died of cancer as he is to those who survive it. God Is not good because we avoid danger. God is good not because he causes things that seem or feel good to happen in our lives. But in the midst of the storm, God comes closer to us than the storm could ever be. And this is why we say with absolute confidence that God is good. God is good because when the storms of life hit, he comes closer to us than the storm ever could. And he holds us in his loving arms. He doesn't change, he doesn't falter, he doesn't quit, he doesn't leave. And no matter what, he never lets go. And so we say with confidence not based on my circumstances, not based on what God has kept me from or what God has given me, but because it's who he is. We say God is good.
1: Let the king of my heart be.
0: Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com cornerstoneairdrie, follow us on Twitter at csairdrie, and on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together, as family we go.
1: more because we always do because he's so good there's something there's the only thing in my entire life that was greater than my fear is my conviction it's the only thing in my entire life that was greater is my conviction that I, I knew he was who he said he was even if I hadn't experienced him in a certain way yet even if my experience and my understanding was small I knew he was not So I wanna sing this again and I want you to, I want you to let it rise from deep, deep, deep down. Let confidence, let confidence fill you today. Sometimes we sing something because we believe it, because we're sure, sometimes we sing it until we're sure, until we know. So if that's not your conviction today, that he's good and that he's been good since the garden and before that, then I want you to sing this to yourself. I want you to sing it over yourself. Long after my life, Long after my life on the earth, I want it to be remembered that I sang this song, that I was so completely convinced of the goodness of the Father. So if you need need to prophesy this morning, prophesy that He's good. If you haven't seen His goodness manifest in His situation or a relationship in your family, in the thing that you feel called to, prophesy His goodness.